Chapter 4, I want to read the first six verses. And we'll go back. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were twenty-four seats, and upon the seats I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And behold, the throne, before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, there were four beasts, literally living ones. There were four living ones, remarkable, full of eyes before and behind. The cherubim, we'll get to them next week a bit more. You know, I've been thinking about you guys as I've been sitting alone with this passage. And I'm thinking, Lord, what do you want us to see? You know, what do you want to come in front of us here? Because you're sitting at home, you're locked down now. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, if I wasn't a believer, I'd really be having a hard time with this. If I was a teenager, I'd be having a way harder time with this. There's a, a plague all around us. Washington's a mess. The economy's crumbling. They're locking down churches and taking rights away. The world is tense. Global politics is trying to usurp everything. And you look, you think, if, if I wasn't a believer, Lord, how would I feel? You know, they, they say that out of every 100,000 teenagers, 16 and 19, that got the virus, one died, but 30 committed suicide. So the lockdown's been 30 times more dangerous. That's why we need to have church. 30 times more dangerous for teenagers than the virus, lockdowns. They say one in four adults, one in four Americans has thought about harming themselves since this all started. But we're seeing, you know, in, with the addictions ministry, just death skyrocketing. We're seeing, and I'm thinking, well, you know, what, what would I be thinking if I didn't know Christ? And I think here, Lord, what do you want us to see? You know, it says in chapter one, verse one, that he showed and signified things to John. That means put symbols in front of him. He put pictures in front of him. Verse two, chapter one, he showed me these things. Not just hearing. This is not just an intellectual or a theological, you know, exercise, though we should use our minds. Our theology should be good. This is more than that, because chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed are those who read, that would be me, 
But you too, you all, in the New Testament, they don't all have a copy of the scripture. You can read along with me. Blessed are those who read. Blessed are those who hear. And that word hear has to do with a, a heart attitude of obeying. You're hearing the right way. And then it says, blessed are those who keep or guard or stand garrison around these things. As we look at these things today in this chapter and heaven is open, what are you guarding? What are you standing garrison around? What are you protecting? Because look, what's happening to the hopes of certainly the unsaved world, but of so many of us as Christians? We're discovering we were hoping in things that are transient, that are dissolving before our eyes, that are falling apart. You know, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 6 that we have a hope, and the hope that we have as believers is an anchor to our soul, and it says it's anchored behind the veil. So you and I should be anchored, but it doesn't work unless we're anchored up. We can't be anchored down. Any hope you have in this world is fragile. It's transient. I enjoy life, don't get me wrong. But if we don't have a hope right now that's anchored up where unbelievers can't anchor, we've got no bearings. We've got no anchor. And, and the world around us is just, it's, it's falling apart between lockdowns and all of these things that are going on. And I could understand, particularly, again, young people who, who have their whole life in front of them. What's the point? What's the point? It's suffocating. There's so many things going on on so many fronts. But for you and I, this is all harking of something. Luke 21 says, when these things begin to take place, lift up your heads, anchor up. Lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Are you hoping, you know, your retirement, your money, your home? Look, Paul would say to Timothy, and something he learned, look, Timothy, if you have a if you have clothing, you got a roof over your head, you got something to eat, learn to therewith be content. Because this is a pilgrimage. This this is not a permanent place. You know, Abraham again being the man of the throne uh, of the tent and the altar. It defined his life, though he was wealthy. The tent defined his relationship with this world. The altar defined his relationship with the next world. And he lived that way. We need to live that way. This is all passing away. Are you realizing that more than ever? It's all crumbling around us. And only the things that can't be shaken are going to remain. Now, look, if you're young, you can't think, well, I was hoping to get married. I was hoping to get $100,000 in debt with college and a house. I was hoping to not be able to pay my car payments. I was hoping to. Look, I understand all that. I understand all that. But you sit now and you look around and you think, we've always had this. This has always been ours. This has always been there, and the Lord wants to show us. Spurgeon said, you know, sometimes things go in one ear and out the other, but nothing goes in one eye and out the other. So the Lord Jesus puts before us in this revelation, this unveiling, not just things for the intellect and the IQ. The blessings of this are available to every one of us. And we're to see them. This is visual. It's sensory overload as we come into this scene in heaven. 
And he wants us to take those things. He wants us to be a blessing. Those who read, those who hear, those who keep. Will we leave blessed today? Will we leave blessed because we're reminded of our true future? We're reminded of what can't be shaken. We're reminded of what Christ has done for us. We're reminded that there's a throne over all of this that is immovable. You know, we can leave with that blessing because everything else is pretty bleak, isn't it? It's bleak. I mean, some days, you know, I laid in bed, 10 o'clock. I'm laying, I think, what's the purpose of getting up? I can't go anywhere. I go lock myself down in my office. Yippee. Uh, so at least it's warm here. You know, I just, you know, you, you just think, but I had Christ. I had something ahead of me. I'd seeing you guys again, you know, being able to serve again. And then the rapture. That sounds good, doesn't it? Rapture. I just want to say it. It sounds good, you know. Just think of the hope we have. So here, heaven is opened. Heaven is opened. And we have something different than we can, we can get from Ezekiel or from Daniel or from Jeremiah or from Isaiah. Heaven is really opened for God's people here to see. John begins by saying, after this, I looked, it's Aida, I I perceived, and behold, that's imperative, you need to think about this, a door was open in heaven. The idea is there was a door standing open in heaven. John didn't see it opened, he didn't open it. When he looked, he said there was this open door, it was standing open. And he said, and the voice which I heard, as it were, a trumpet, chapter 1, verse 10, talking with me, said unto me, come up hither. The idea is come up here right now. And I will notice this, show thee things which must be hereafter. So the verse begins with, after this, it ends with things hereafter. That phrase, metatauta is what separates the book for us. If you understand that, after what things? After these things, after what things? Chapter 1, verse 19 had told us this. He said to John, Write the things that thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be. Here's our word from 4.1. Hereafter, meditauta. He said, John, I want you to write. And I want you to write what you've seen, the vision of Jesus Christ in chapter 1. I want you to write the things which are. And he said, the lampstands you saw are the seven churches. So in chapters 2 and 3, we get a picture of these different churches. We get a picture of the churches because it's always plural. We get a picture of overcomers through the church age and the church. We get a picture of the church age all the way up to this picture when heaven's open. And certainly it's not doctrine for the rapture, but it certainly is a picture. The sound of a trumpet come up here. Uh, The church is mentioned 19 times in the first three chapters. It's not mentioned again till chapter 22, verse 16, the last chapter. It's implied in chapter 19 where it talks about the the bride, the wife of, of the lamb. But the church is nowhere in the tribulation. If you understand the chronological sequence here, it opens the book. There are the things which thou hast seen, the vision of Christ. Then the things that are, the church age, where we are. And then the things that are going to be after this. Because 
Chapter 4 is the throne room of God. Chapter 5 is the throne room of the Redeemer. And it is through that lens then we see the rest of the book from chapter 6 to 22, really. It's that that gives us a vision of the rest of the book. So he says, look, he said, you have to think this. You have to behold. You have to think about this. You have to look about this. I want to put something before your eyes that I want you to see. I'm, I brought you to this vantage point. And John's going to tell us there were lights, there were sounds, there were so many things. You know, And as he goes through, he doesn't try, you know, because I killed myself reading one revelation for weeks now at home, locked away. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how many, how many there are that wrote that said, well, I think this might mean this. And I think maybe this symbolizes this. And I think maybe this means... John doesn't do any of that. He said, this is what I saw. This is what was before me. This is something that a child is able to embrace. This is something that's supposed to produce a blessing in our lives, not in our IQ. This is something that God gives to us to see of our future. And he, and he says, it was after these things. Then, of course, it's an interesting picture... Door open in heaven, a voice come up here, you know, he's gone, and then the church is gone, you know, all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. Certainly, I like that picture, personally. I'm an escapist. So he says here, you know, come up hither, and I will show thee, he's got a sensory overload, he's going to see things which must be hereafter, like... You know, Paul told us, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered in the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But by his spirit, he's made those things real to us. Sitting here this morning, looking at the scene of heaven, these things can be real to us. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, I knew a man 14 years ago. He says, whether he was in the body or in the spirit, I don't even know. Talking about himself. And he said he was caught up to the third heaven. That's this picture. First heaven, the atmosphere. Second heaven is the stellar heavens that are spread out. And the third heaven is the, is the presence of God. He said, I was caught up to the third heaven. And then Paul says, I saw things there that were unspeakable. It would have been a crime to try to write about them. God said, okay, you stand over here. I'll get John to do it then. But these are things that human nomenclature doesn't have the precision to describe. When we get there, we know we will know fully, even as we've been fully known. But there is an unveiling here that God wants to bless us with, particularly this last generation as the world is falling apart. He says this in verse 2, immediately when that happened... I was in the spirit. I was in spirit in a different state. And behold, imperative, you need to behold this. There was a throne set in heaven and one sat upon the throne. Now, the word throne is a revelation word. Forty five times in the book of Revelation, you hear throne. The rest of the New Testament, Matthew to Jude, you only hear the word throne 15 times. In the book of Revelation, you hear it three times in all the rest of the New Testament. Thirty-seven times it's speaking about the throne of God. Here in chapter 4, we hear the word 13 times in regards to the throne of God. 
The next chapter, chapter 5, is five times relative to the throne of God. So this is the throne room. We're caught up to the throne room. Imagine. And he's overwhelmed, not just with the throne or the throne room, because he tries to tell us about the one who's seated upon the throne. Listen, this is huge for all of us. There is a throne that controls the universe, controls our next heartbeat and our next breath. There is a throne that loves our spouse more than we do. There is a throne that loves loves our, our loved ones that went on more than we do. There is a throne that loves our children more than we do. There is a throne that loves our grandchildren more than we do. There is a throne. And here's the good news. And I was stuck with it for a couple of weeks, so it was wonderful to me. John said there's one on the throne. Not Republicans and Democrats, not prime ministers, presidents, not globalists, nationalists. There's one on the throne. You understand what I'm getting at here? That's kind of wonderful because you're tired of everybody who tries to get on a throne down here. He said, no, the throne that runs everything, there's one there. And it's your father. It's your father. There's one on the throne. No competition. No elections. No changes. One. Who was and who is and is to come. On the throne. I kind of like that. kind of like that. I don't care what the news is saying. I don't care, you know, just with all the insanity around us. Again, which can be suffocating if we lift our hearts, if we realize we're anchored up and, and, and we look up, there's one on the throne. Remarkable. And then he gives us a description, you know, what he's like. He says this, and he that sat upon was to look upon. Now, John's going to realize he doesn't. So he's going to say a number of times, it look was like this. It was as this. It was like that. You know, he's doing his best you know, to, to, to describe what he's seen now. And he said, And he that sat upon the throne was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. Isn't it interesting? This is the throne of God, the throne of the lambs in the next chapter, the throne of God, God and the lamb, or in chapter 22, throughout eternity. He he says, I saw this throne, and there was one sitting on the throne. He was an old man with a white beard and white hair and this golden crown on, and he looked like the sun. No, he doesn't do that. He said he looked like a stone. Who would ever think we're getting ripped off? Isn't God an old man with a white beard and white hair and a white robe? He said he looked like a stone. All we all the, the only way our Father, God Almighty, is described in the book of Revelation, it only says three things. It says he's sitting, it says he's shining, and it says he had a scroll in his right hand. Though the, there's no anthropomorphic descriptions of God the Father anywhere in Revelation. He says he says he was to look upon like a, a jasper and a sardine or sardius stone. Now Understand, there's all kinds of opinions about jaspers. 
I have books at home on gems in the Bible. But this book says in chapter 21, verse 11, that the jasper stone in the book of Revelation is as clear as crystal. So this is a di- it's like a diamond. And he was also like a sardine stone. Sardius, that's red, blood red, like a ruby. So he says, the one who was seated on the throne in his brilliance, this beautiful, like a diamond, brilliant white light shining from the throne, and then these streaks of blood red, this ruby, moving through that white light, he said, you know, which of course is a picture of his holiness and redemption and the blood of Christ. He said, all of this is going from the throne. And then he says, and around the throne, there is this rainbow. No, it isn't. A rainbow like we're used to seeing from ground to ground because it says the rainbows around the throne it's the same as the elders around the throne the other thrones around the throne the cherubim around the throne it means it's a complete circle this rainbow is it horizontal like a halo sitting around this whole scene horizontal or is it vertical so it goes all the way in under and around the throne so that whatever direction you look at it, you see this green emerald rainbow around the throne? Imagine that. I guess that's why we use red and green in Christmas colors. I don't know. I just made that up. But imagine this scene. And look, you only hear about a rainbow four times in the entire Bible. Genesis chapter 9, God says he places a bow in the, in the clouds as a covenant that he will never destroy the earth again with a flood. Doesn't say anything about fire there, but he's never going to destroy it again with a flood. It's mentioned in Ezekiel 1 when the scene and the cherubim come down from heaven that there's a rainbow in that picture. It's not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament, a rainbow, until you get here to chapter 4 and then in chapter 10. It's only mentioned twice in the New Testament. We know that it's a picture of covenant. We know there's something in it of life. This rainbow, is it different shades of green like a, like a rainbow? Or is it just the color of an emerald? This visually, try to imagine what's going on here. One of the church fathers said this rainbow, it is a sign of covenant through the scripture. And what it means is the sovereignty of God enjoys no triumph in this world at the expense of his mercy. The sovereignty of God enjoys no triumph in this world at the expense of his mercy. I could say that again. I've been thinking about it for too long. You know, so here's this picture. John said, this is what you have to behold. This is imperative. You have to look at this, think about this. Here's the throne. There's only one. God, one ruler, one seated on the throne. And his appearance it just was light. I couldn't see. It was just blinding this beautiful white crystal clear light and these streaks of blood red going through it. And around the whole scene, there's this giant halo of green around the whole thing. Just imagine visually what this does. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. Just imagine what this is. And look, there's enough of it here for you and I to take hold of. A child who's a believer can benefit from this. There's a blessing for those who read and hear and keep these things. Jesus showed these things and signified these things. It isn't just theological jargon. 
The best teacher turns ears into eyes. The best teacher is the teacher that can turn ears into eyes. And John is doing that here, this scene, this picture, this image. Eh, uh, but COVID, so what? Are you kidding? Look like everything. Oh, but uh, the, the election, so what? Look at this. Oh, the lockdowns, lockdowns set free, you mean. Look at this. This is the scene. This is where our anchor is. Verse 4, he says this then. He says, and round about the throne were four and 20, 24 seats. It's the same word throne. Obviously, they're lesser and subordinate thrones. And upon those thrones, seats, I saw four and 20 elders sitting. They are clothed in white raiment, white clothing. They had on their heads crowns of gold. So we have this scene. Now they show up 12 times in the book of Revelation. As you read through, you're going to hear, and the 24 elders, and the 24 elders. We know they're not angels. And there are scholars, I've, I've read them all in my school. Scholars that say, well, these are angels. No, no. There's nowhere in the Bible where angels are called elders. Israel had elders, which were representative of the people. The church had elders, and mostly they were older men. Angels ain't ever older men. And, and they're never called elders anywhere in the Bible. Chapter 7, verse 11, well, let me read it. And, and you'll find a number of verses like this. It says this, And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders. So the angels aren't the elders, because the angels stood round about the throne, and they stood round about the elders and the four beasts fell before the throne on their faces, and they worship God. So angels and elders are different. We find out as we go through the book. So they're not angels. We, we know that. Some say, well, these are the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. I, I think they're human, but I don't think that's who they are. I think John would have said, there I am. That's me over there. You know, you, we don't get any of that, you know. Uh, and the Old Testament, these, these are rewarded. There's, there's crowns and white garments and thrones. They've received rewards. Israel doesn't receive her rewards until the end of the book, before the millennium. Israel's not rewarded until what Daniel tells us in chapter 12, 1 and 2 takes place. Israel has no rewards at this point in time. They will. This is a different group. This is in heaven around the throne. I believe they're symbolic in the sense that David, when he set up the, the, he gave the descriptions for the temple, the measurements, everything, and the courses of priests and so forth and singers to his son Solomon to set it up. And he said, God gave me this pattern. I saw it. And part of the pattern, there were 24 courses of priests and they represented the entire nation. So certainly this is a representative group. Uh, for me, these have to be humans. We're going to look at that in chapter 5. We're going to look at it. These are, are representative of the overcomers because in chapter 3, verse 21, it promises a throne to the overcomers in the church. 
In chapter 2, verse 10, and 3, verse 11, it promises crowns to those who overcome. And in chapter two, chapter three, verses four and five, it promises overcomers that they'll be clothed in white. So these people around the throne seem to represent overcomers who are crowned, who are dressed in white, and who are seated on thrones. We're joint heirs with Christ, all of us. And if they're crowned and on thrones, that represents kings. And if they're dressed in white, that represents priests. In chapter 1, verse 6, John had written this, And he's made us kings and priests unto our God and Father. So certainly this seems to be to be a representative group. It's hard to be dogmatic about it, sitting around the thrones there. And we don't see it, by the way, in Ezekiel's description of heaven uh, or in Daniel's or in Isaiah, because we're told by Paul in Ephesians 3, that the church was a mystery hidden in ages past. But they're visible here. And you notice this too. The rapture's already taken place if they've already received the rewards. They've been at the, the Bema throne already. There's no picture of Christ here, whoever liveth and maketh intercession for the saints at the right hand of God. That's not happening here. Because the saints are in heaven. You know, that could happen today, don't you? I hope it happens before the snow on Wednesday. <laughs> this, you know, this could happen. It, all of the things that are cooking around us. Isn't it funny? You know, for years here, we've talked through books of the Bible. We said there's going to be a paradigm shift someday. We've talked about these things. We said the globalists are going to take over. We said the Antichrist is coming. There's going to be a one-world government, a one-world economic system, one-world vaccine. And now that it's happened, we're all freaked out like we never heard about it before. It means the program's rolling, is what it means. It means the king is coming, is what it means. It means our Savior's going to take us to heaven to see this for ourselves. That's what it all means. Meantime, and look, I felt that way. I thought, man, here I am, locked down, bummed out, sitting in this room, looking out a window. If I didn't know Jesus, I would think I hurting myself or so. I can see how people could be so discouraged and so depressed because they don't have a hope. They don't see this. It's not real to them. Here Jesus Christ hands it to us. He said, don't, just don't listen to the words. See it. I'm putting it before your heart. You have the spiritual capacity to take this scene to yourself. These 24 elders there seated around the throne. And then he says in verse 5, look, out of the throne there proceeded... And it's in the present tense. This is what it says. Out of the throne there is proceeding. Today, as we're sitting here in the sanctuary, this is something that's happening up there at the throne. Okay? While we're here, this is happening. Out of the throne there is proceeding lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. So he says now audibly, you know, visually, this brilliance is taking place that he can hardly describe. Audibly, he says now out of the throne is coming lightnings and voices and thunderings coming forth out of this scene. Now look, that is significant 
because we hear it again in chapter 8, verse 5, after the seventh seal is broken, we hear lightnings, thunderings, voices. In chapter 11, verse 19, after the seventh trumpet sounds, we have lightning, thunderings, and voices. And in chapter 16, verse 18, after the seventh bowl of God's wrath is poured out, we hear lightnings, thunderings, and voices. This is something proceeding from the throne of God. You know, judgment first takes place in his own house, but then the unsaved world around us. God is not endorsing the sin of mankind. Thank goodness there's a rainbow around all of this power and glory and his throne. But this is proceeding from the throne of a holy God. And those who don't turn to Christ will encounter this. Look, you're here this morning or you're watching on the app or somewhere. This is a very easy decision to make. In your future, and, and look, every one of us in one way or another is going to breathe our last breath. For every 100 people born, 100 people die. And no vaccine. This is the only vaccine that works in that situation, the blood of Jesus. Okay? So you make up your mind, if you don't know Christ sitting here today, or if you're listening on, on the radio or on the, the app or something, for your eternal state, do you want light and beauty, or do you want darkness and suffering forever? It's easy to make the choice. It's, no, it's a no-brainer. This is the place, the home, this is where we're headed for the believer. We get there not because we're worthy. It tells us in chapter 5. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's because of the blood of Jesus. And when we get there, we, we encounter all of this. We hear these voices, these thunderings proceeding, this sound. And then it says there's seven lamps burning. Those, that word is torches. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin use different forms of a word, and they all differentiate. They distinguish. This is not lamps like the seven lamps, the churches. This is seven, literally, torches blazing. The torches were used outside in the garden, at the, you know, at the, at the, the arenas and so forth. The lampstands were used in the house. These are seven torches blazing in the middle of the scene with all this noise, all of this color. And these things don't burn out. You don't have to worry about them burning out. Lamps you have to feed with oil. These things are just blazing. They're like the burning bush that Moses saw. It was burning, but it was not consumed. And it says these seven torches glaring, blazing, are the seven spirits of God. And verse 6, he says, when I looked, I saw a sea of glass, as it were, crystal. He says, before the throne, there was a sea of glass. Now look, like, he's having a hard time describing it. A sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about it, there were the four beasts, the four living ones, full of eyes before and behind. So he says, he said, the next thing that just overcame me when I looked at this throne, here's this sea. While the sea is raging down here, 
Chapter 13, when the Antichrist is described coming to power, it says that the nations of the world are like the raging sea. Here it tells us around the throne of God, much like in Exodus, they saw a pavement of sapphire blue. It says here there's this sea of glass. It's perfectly still, like crystal. You know, years ago, I happened to have an opportunity to be in Michigan and St. Clair several times. And we go down in the morning and sit on Lake Huron, and you're facing east towards the, the rising of the sun. We'd get down there before the sun would come up. Now, sometimes it was raging. Two ships had sunk right before we got there, and there were all these, like, peanuts, these styrofoam all over the shore, because it can be terrible. But there were mornings we walked down there, and it was glass. There wasn't a wave. There wasn't a ripple. And it looks like the ocean. You can't see the other side. And you sit there, and you're stunned. It's a lake. You've never seen that much water still. John looks at this, and he's stunned. He said there was a sea, but it was glass, like crystal. What he's telling us there is my experience, my sensory overload. There was brilliance. It was glaring colors. I could hardly stand. There were sounds like thunderings and lightnings and voices and there was stillness that was overwhelming. On earth, those three things can't happen together. Blazing, you know, uh, screaming sounds and stillness all at the same time. And he said, then around the throne, when I looked up, I saw these four living ones. Full of eyes before me at, behind these living creatures full of eyes in every direction so that nothing happens in the realm of their responsibility that they don't see or recognize. These are the cherubim. They're described more as we get into verse 7. Face of a lion, face of an ox, face of a man, face of an eagle. They're described in, we have them in Genesis chapter 3, where God appoints a cherubim with a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. The cherubim are there. The cherubim are in the tabernacle and in the temple, which were patterned after a heavenly scene. So in both the tabernacle and the temple, the veil that hung separating the Holy of Holies had cherubim woven on it. And over the mercy seat where the blood was poured out, there were cherubim standing there. If you, you know, when we get to Isaiah 6, it mentions seraphim. Are they the same or are they different? They're not mentioned in any of these other contexts. In fact, if you, if you look down on Israel from above, if you have one of those little drones, and you look down on the camp of Israel, you had the camp of Judah on one end, their flag was a lion. You had the camp of Ephraim on the other side, and their flag was an ox. You had the camp of Reuben on the end, and their face on their flag was a man. And then you had Dan on the other side, and the face of their flag was an eagle. 
When you look down on the camp of Israel, the outermost flags that set the camp were the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. In fact, the early church understood these things. And when they were being persecuted and they hid in the catacombs and so forth, sometimes they would carve the cherubim on the wall and would let other Christians know that there were Christians there. Because they understood that Matthew portrays the lion of the tribe of Judah, that Mark portrays Christ as the ox who's come to serve and not to be served. Luke portrays the humanity of Christ, the man, and Luke's amazed that a man can be filled with the Spirit, raised with the Spirit, ascend. And John portrays the deity of Christ, the face of an eagle. The early church understood this. So this is it's all patterned around some reality that's around his throne. You're going to see them. When you see them, you know, people say, if I could only see an angel in my room, you have a cardiac if you've seen one of these, okay? <laughs> It'd blow your mind. But the cherubim, when they look up at God on the throne, it blows all four of their minds, and they all go down together. This scene, this is our future. These are IFOs. These are not UFOs, okay? Von Donegan read... Ezekiel chapter 1 and said these are flying saucers, wheel within a wheel, all this stuff. If he'd have read 10 chapters and the 10th chapter says, no, these are the cherubim, they're flying saucers. But our world is set up for that, isn't it? You know, they're past evolution. They realized that couldn't happen, so we were colonized here, but it doesn't explain where they came from. But, you know, these are not UFOs. That'll be part of the deception, I'm sure. These are IFOs, identified flying objects. There's no confusion. This is the power of God. This is the throne of God. This is this scene that you and I are supposed to be able to take to ourselves. It's the word of God. It's just just put here so we can have theological arguments about eternity or about prophecy. It's placed here so a child who believes can have a blessing and can keep it and guard it can have a picture that's not on paper, but it's printed in their hearts and their minds. You know, sometimes I'll pray for my children and grandchildren. You know when I pray for them, on the screen comes an image in my mind. I've got a library in there, and I know what they all look like. Right? Scientists have no idea how that works. No idea. The Lord, who designed all that, understands that he can put these images in front of us, and we can put them in the library. And when you're having a really bad day, and you're really discouraged, everything seems to be falling apart, go to the library in your heart and look up Revelation chapter 4. And remember where we're really headed, where we're really going. Look, if you don't know Christ, or if you're watching or listening, you don't know Christ, you have to understand, for us, we're excited. I read these things, we're going. When you're going on vacation somewhere, you get the brochures, you read about it, you kind of get excited. Look, and then you go to Disneyland, right? Your kids want to go, you get there. And you say, let us in. They say, well, where's your ticket? Well, it doesn't matter because we're sincere. No, no, what are you talking about? No, no, 
Uh, where's your Where's your ticket? Well, well we're, we're religious. Like I said, no, no. I don't know. What are you talking about? You need a ticket. Well, we go to Calvary Chapel. Never heard of it. You can't get in here because of that. You have to have a ticket to get into the magic kingdom. And you got to have the blood of Jesus to get into the kingdom of heaven. If you can't get in Disneyland without a ticket, how do you think you're going to get in heaven without one? And people say, what's the point? I can't afford it. I'm a sinner. Well, you ain't paid for this ticket. Jesus paid for it in his own blood. It's there with your name on it. Sinner. All you got to do is claim it. Because he's paid the ticket for you to get into the magic kingdom, as it were. Okay? He loves you. You're his sons and daughters. He's on the throne of the universe. There is nothing that can come between us. He's waiting to see us face to face, as it were. What a day that will be, won't it? What a day that will be. Get it in your hearts. Keep it there. In the days we're living in right now that can seem so dark and so dreary. It says we're supposed to give an answer to every man for the hope that we have. Right right now, look. Laodicea don't have any hope. Where's the smoke machines and the rear screen projection and the, and the, and the, you know, the nightclub on Sunday morning? It's all paled to nothing right now because the world is falling apart. What's up? You're trying to be culturally relevant with a pandemic? With, uh, with what? You know, look, the, the church is waking up, I hope. The world is looking at all of this. There's nothing solid to hold on to. And yet we're here. They're trying to close us down. We're not allowed to sing. We're not supposed to be here. Great to see you. Look. Look. We have to be here. We do not want to be, you know, arrogant in regards to civil authorities. They have a terrible responsibility. But the truth is, I've read two articles last week. The only people in the country... whose mental state has improved through the pandemic are church-attending Christians. Because of these things, because of the hope that we have. So, so important for us to be together. Don't take it for granted. Pray for our mayor. Pray for our governor. Pray for the president. Pray for these people. But when they get their vaccine out, you can get that vaccine and whoop COVID and die and go to hell when your life is over. The vaccine we have and why it's important to go to church, we have the vaccine which is the blood of Jesus Christ that cures all of those things forever, forever. Let's stand, let's pray together. I encourage you, if you're here today, you don't know Christ, come up, talk to one of the pastors afterwards. They'll be up here, love to pray with you, give you a Bible. Lord, I know you've overheard. We, we put these things before you. Lord, we're so we're enthralled, Lord, at the throne room. We're enthralled at the way these scenes build through four and five. We're enthralled with what we're going to see, Lord. We sit with it alone. Lord, I know there's our faucets are leaking and uh, the, the bills need to get paid. And all of this stuff, Lord Jesus, is around us. But give us grace, Lord. You do it in us, Lord, to draw our hearts above all of the suffocating insanity that surrounds us, Lord. Let this be fresh 
and alive to us. Make us contagious with hope, Lord, in a hopeless age. Let us anchor up and not anchor down. We believe we're praying according to your will. And Lord, we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.